Amen. Amen. I want to add to the Kingdom Conference comment. Last year, Linda and I had to miss it for the first time we were out of town. And man, did we feel like we missed it. We came back and kept hearing story after story, and it literally changed the trajectory of many of our people's lives. So you don't want to miss that. Welcome to Antioch. My name is Steve Zanacco, and if you're visiting, a special welcome. Um, we hope you like it here and find a home here. And uh, we are, like to say, we're a note-taking, Bible-believing church, and um, we're diving deep this morning, so I would suggest you have something out to take some notes. We always approach the Word of God as if God is going to say something worth remembering and even writing down. And so let's um, go with anticipation and expectation as we move forward. We, um, our, our lead pastor, Andrew, who is just up here, has been taking some time, and I just wanted to say I got to hear, he's been traveling to bless other churches. I got to hear the stories of Detroit, and he's going to bless, is it Chicago next? Yeah, Chicago next. And so we're actually pouring out into other churches, and I think that's really cool, too. So um, we're right smack in the middle of a letter to the Hebrews, a quick recap of this letter. We don't actually know, we're not certain of who the author is. We are certain of its purpose. And the purpose of the letter was strengthen and confirm a people who were shaken in their faith. They were shaken by persecution. They were shaken by sorrow and hardship. And this letter was to keep them from drifting away, to keep them from falling away, to keep them from leaving their faith. How is the author trying to firm up these people's shaken faith? By a deep, 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 did I say deep, dive into the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Supremacy of Jesus Christ. Here is what the writer has pointed out so far in chapters 1 through 6. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the prophet of prophets. Remember your hero of heroes, Moses? Not even in the same league as Jesus. Jesus is the pathway to God's rest. Jesus is the high priest of all believers. And last week, Jesus is the judge as well as our foundation. This week, the writer drops back to his proclamation that Jesus is our high priest. This, he does that by going back to Genesis and the law and the Psalms. He does that through the story of Abraham meeting a very unique biblical character by the name of Melchizedek. So today we take a next level dive into the writer showing us the high priesthood initiated and established in Jesus Christ. Are you finding this all to be a lot? Because Hebrews is a lot. It is drinking from a fire hydrant. And so I'm not surprised if you're starting to think, it's a lot. Maybe even it's too much. Because after all, we already know about the supremacy of Jesus, don't we? I get it. After all, we live in 2023. We have the entirety of the scriptures. We have the blessing of already knowing who Jesus is. We have the scriptures, the prophets, the gospels, and the, the clarification of Paul and others. They, the people of that time, they were still working it out. I get why they needed this letter. But do we? Aren't we already solid in the supremacy of Christ? 
We are all about, even at this church, about being that Jesus is supreme above all things. Do we Christians in 2023 who know Jesus need all of this? Can I tell you what I think the writers of Hebrew would answer that question with? Can I tell you what I think Moses would say to that question? Can I tell you what I think Abraham might have to say to us if we are thinking that and asking that question? Can I tell you what I think Paul and the gospel writers and all the writers of the New Testament might answer that question with? Can I tell you what I think God might say to that question? You don't know. You don't know. And there's two reasons you don't know. First, because there's always more. There's always more. The scriptures are clear that we will continue to grow in him, in our understanding of him, in the power of him, and it will not be completed until the scriptures say we behold him. And then we will be like him. That's cool. There's always more. We need to relish the stories in the scriptures because there always is and always will be more of Jesus. And second, second, I think all of those I listed would say this. You can't fully understand the present fullness of Jesus without understanding the pathway that brought us to Jesus and Jesus to us. The more you understand the story of God, the fullness of God, the completeness of God, the more you will be blessed by the person of Jesus Christ. Am I saying we need to know all of the history, all of the context, and all of the details of the scriptures in order to abide in Christ? Absolutely not. In fact, I'm going to set you free. You're never going to know all of it. Nobody's going to know all of it. So be free. Enjoy the journey. We will see a great example of the challenge of this question today. We are about to wade into the story of Melchizedek. A story of a, a mysterious story that there are literally thousands of pages written about by so many different commentators trying to figure out exactly who Melchizedek was. Was he just a man? Was he an angel? Was he a Christ-like figure? Was he actually the manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament? I'm glad there are people that want to study that. I'm glad to read their input. I'm not going to read that deep into this, and there's a reason Sometimes diving too much into the details makes us miss the main point. And exactly who Melchizedek is, we're going to see, is not the main point. I hope to show you today that exactly who Melchizedek is bows to what the encounter with Abraham has to say to us about the person of Jesus. So we're going to look less in those details and more about this encounter that is recorded in the scriptures and ask God, what do you have 
for us. We need to know, apparently, about this encounter to know about Jesus fully because it's in the Bible. If it's just simple, pithy comments and statements, then why do we have thousands of pages and 40-plus authors over 1,500 years to tell us this story? We need to approach the scriptures with excitement. There is purpose. There is meaning, and God gives it to us. And this story that we're about to study, it has purpose, and it has meaning for you, and I know it because it's in God's word. We do not have to take up the bait of the theologians. We do not have to understand every detail or every context or fully receive to fully receive the blessings and bathe in the glory of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. And, and, he gave us all this, all of the scriptures, so that we could fully, more fully understand the glory of Christ. So let's look for it with expectation as we move forward. We do need to be asking some questions along the journey, and we will be, we need to be willing as we read the scriptures to stop and take some shoots and follow the trail and ask some questions and kick around asking questions of God. What do you have for me in this? What does it tell me about you? What does it tell me about me? And how do I need to respond to this? And we approach with expectation. We are not about full and complete understanding. We are not about going to get there, but we are not going to get there. So be free, enjoy the journey. There is a point of study that is about a knowledge, just knowledge. Forget about that. But there's another point of study that is about revelation. And we all want that. Because that comes through both the, the spirit and the word. And we want it all, don't we? So with that, let's press into the letter to Hebrews. Remember, the writer is writing to a people considering leaving their face because of the hardship and the persecution that they're undergoing. If I were to caption the writer's cry in the letter of Hebrews to the people that are reading the letter, it would go something like this. Him crying out to the people, if you know Jesus... If you really know Jesus, I mean really know all that he is to us, all that he is to the people, all that he is to you, you will never leave him. And to really, 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 really know him, there are some things you need to know. And that's what the letter of Hebrews says. He gives us stuff we really, really need to know so that we know Jesus more. So let's approach today with the rest of Hebrews with anticipation. And if we listen, we will receive from God. And that we'll get more understanding of Jesus, and we all want that. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the word today? We're going to read in Hebrews chapter 7, just the first three verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Let's pray. Lord, as we dig into your word with 
excitement and anticipation. We open our hearts to receive from you, believing you have a message from us, you have a confirmation from us, you have an ask of us, an invitation of us. God, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. So come with power in your word, through your spirit, to each one of us here present today. Speak to us individually as corporately, like you can do so magnificently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So chapter 7 is launched and really built around this biblical character, Melchizedek, whose story amounts to three verses in the chapter 14 of Genesis. The story goes like this. Abraham's nephew Lot and all his people have been taken away by some kings and taken into exile by some kings. Abraham gathers his mighty men and goes after to rescue Lot and his people and all of his things. And Abraham and his mighty men destroy the kings and they are returning from that battle with all the spoils. And in returning from that battle, out of nowhere, this Melchizedek appears. What is so important about Melchizedek? Why is this encounter, three short verses, even in the Bible? It's a good question. In answering that and digging into the story, we see the scriptures show their cohesiveness and their power knit from beginning to end. And that's a really cool aspect of this story. I don't think the writer of Hebrews actually takes the story of Melchizedek just because it's recorded in Genesis. I actually think it is what is said in Psalm 110 about Melchizedek that makes this Hebrew writer go back and dig into this story. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm about the coming of Jesus, about the coming of Messiah. And it says this in Psalm 110.4, The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And it's this psalm that the writer quotes and says, huh, somehow this little three-verse story is tied to the priesthood of Jesus Christ and our Messiah. Let's go back and look at it. It's 110, Psalm 110, that I think makes him go back to Genesis 14. Jesus connected somehow to this Melchizedek. That is what draws the writer's attention. Who is this guy? He's about to tell us. And the first 10 verses of Hebrews 7 explain much about Melchizedek. The writer notes many things about Melchizedek. Get ready to take some notes because they are distinct and they are worth writing down and you're going to need to remember them and actually they're pretty cool. And they keep us and help us understand, honor, and love Jesus in a deeper way. First distinctive about this Melchizedek is he's a king. In Hebrew, his name, Melech, means king. Zedek means righteousness. So his name means king of righteousness. And I say, that's pretty cool, but that's not enough. Lots of Old Testament people had really cool names that had really cool interpretations of them. So not enough yet, but there's more. Second, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Now you're saying something. The writer points to the story to point out that this Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. 
Now the story in Genesis has a longer account than what the Hebrews writer has. It has Melchizedek coming out with bread and wine and greeting Abraham, but that's not what the writer of, Re of Hebrews records. He skips all of that, and he skips to the end of verse 1 to record one monumental event, and that is this Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So what? It's huge. All of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, points to the significance of one receiving a blessing of another. It is also clear from beginning to end that the greater blesses the lesser. And this writer is saying, Father Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Well, wait a minute. This is a separate guy. This is a guy who the covenant came through. This is the sand of the shores guy. This is the I'm going to build a great nation through your people guy. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And it always means the lesser one receives the blessing from the greater one. So this Melchizedek, he's something special. Remember in chapter 3, the writer points out that your hero of heroes, Moses, is not even in the same league as Jesus? Well, now we're talking about Abraham. And all that I just pointed out about Abraham, and all the people knew about Abraham, and again, the writer points out and says, and yet, there is a greater. Greater than Moses. Greater than Abraham. And Melchizedek is the foreshadow of this greatness. But there's more. Third, Melchizedek had no record of beginning and end. Melchizedek is without former father, mother, or genealogy. He has no beginning. He has no end. He remains a priest perpetually, forever. Okay, again, go back historically. This was a time of genealogy. Nobody got anything without mentioning their family line. Look at your genealogies. They're one of the harder parts to stay involved in scripture sometime. Genealogy was everything. No genealogy about Melchizedek. Sometimes the scriptures speak to the power of something by what they don't say as much as what they do say. And them saying this guy had no genealogy is for a purpose. We need to remember all that that means and this is where we can get caught in the weeds and actually where the weeds start to come in. It's this no genealogy thing that starts all the questions. Oh, then was he a man? Was he an angel? Was he a manifest manifestation representing Jesus? Was he Jesus? Don't know. And in my opinion, the Bible doesn't make it clear. What is clear is Psalm 110, and we need to keep that in mind. Somehow, Melchizedek is connected to a new priesthood, and that's what's important here. That's what the writer keeps him pointing, pointing to, a new priesthood. Fourth, not only is Melchizedek superior to Abraham, but Melchizedek was a different and higher priesthood than the Levitical priesthood that came through Moses and the law. 
Now that's saying something. Because the esteem in which Moses, the law, and the Levitical priesthood was head. And now there's an indication that Melchizedek was saying something greater is coming. Way back here in Genesis, something's greater is coming. And that's important. Now the plot thickens. Not only a priesthood, but one greater than the Levitical priesthood. Interesting. But what does it mean? What does it mean to us? How do we take this? As we've already seen, the higher position was confirmed by Melchizedek blessing Abraham, but also in the fact that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. Another important factor. That Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. That was reserved only for the priesthood. Nobody got tithes. The Levitical priesthood would come through the line of Abraham. It would be initiated through the line of Abraham, and so would the priesthood. It would be of the highest esteem to the people, and already, before it is even initiated by Abraham and through his line, Melchizedek is saying there'll be something greater. A priesthood was coming, and it was greater, and it was permanent, and it would change everything. And the fact begins to make things interesting because the law, the priesthood, represented God to these folks. This would have gotten their attention. You're saying something better than the law and the priesthood of God is coming. That's a powerful statement. So verses 1 through 10 in chapter 7 establish the uniqueness of Melchizedek, a righteous king. No genealogy, so he has no beginning and no end. He's greater than Father Abraham. He represents a priesthood that is higher than the Levitical priesthood established in the law. And then verses 11 forward reveal the significance of all of this. Verse 11 begins a new section. Verse 11, now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it people receive the law, what further need... Was there of another priest to arise according to this order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? You see, this section starts with a question raised by the writer. Why do we need a new priesthood? And I think he raises it because he knew that's what the people would be asking. We've got priests. We have a law. It's from God. Why? Do we need a line of a priesthood and that it's not through Aaron and the Levites? The final section of chapter 7 compares the Levitical priesthood to this higher priesthood of the Messiah of Jesus. And it establishes the incomparable superiority of what was coming in the new high priesthood. You see, the Levitical priesthood was made up of men. The new priesthood would be the Son of God. The Levitical priesthood was not all about, was not at all about the who. It was about the position. There was nothing special about the priests themselves. They were special because of the position they held. 
the new priesthood would be all about the who. Not confirmed by a position at all, but confirmed by who he was. A big difference. Jesus' priesthood is about the who. Jesus is the priesthood. Nothing else. The priest still had to pay tithes. They had to give offer for themselves and for others. They had to give sacrifices. Jesus had to make no sacrifices because he was and is the sacrifice for all of us. Because he didn't have to make a sacrifice for himself. The Levitical priests were constantly changing. Why? The priests died. Our high priest will never change again. Because he will never die. You see the difference in what this writer is so excited about. No, there's a high priesthood coming and it's so different. It's so much better. I want you all to know about this because it will inform you more about this Jesus. And this not dying, that to me is so cool. Verse 16, who Jesus has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Indestructible. I want to stop and camp on that. You see, because it could be that Jesus could die, but he just won't. That's not what this is saying. Jesus can't die. Because in his essence, he is life. And life itself can't die. I think that's just a cool thing. <laughs> we need to insert a caution into our thinking here. All this discussion about Levitical priesthood and the law and the greater priesthood and the overcoming of the law, we can begin to think that the priesthood of the Levites and the law was a mistake. It was a bad thing that needed to be changed. It was a bad season for God. It was a wrong choice that needed to be shifted. And I want to say that is not the case at all. The law was amazing. And the Levitical priesthood was world-changing. This was not about God correcting a mistake. In fact, Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come abolish to abolish, but to fulfill. And he goes on to be even more specific. I'm not changing one little thing about the law. And so we cannot, if we think the law is a mistake or weak or broken, needing to be done away, or we actually can dishonor God and minimize the greatness of Jesus Christ. 
If instead we think of the law as magnificent like it was, miraculous like it was, different than anything the world had ever seen like it was, identifying the people of God like it did that separated the people of God from everywhere else on the earth that changed the people of God in cleanliness, in productivity, in honor, in rest, in every way if we think of it as being great and still Jesus is that much greater than we picture something great bowing gladly in honor to something even greater. And that's the picture that we need to hold on to. And that's chapter seven. <laughs> well, most of it anyway. Hebrews is not a letter of ancient history. It's a letter of God's history. It's a letter of our history. A writer calling out a people shaken in their faith to us, shaken in our faith maybe, or maybe to a people that someday we will be shaken in our faith. We need this letter. And he writes out to us, remember, remember the story of Jesus is a story for the ages. Remember the story began before Genesis and it will live past Revelation. Remember that the story is a testimony through miraculous stories and events. It's testified to incredible events like the parting of the Red Sea and little minor three-verse events like this Melchizedek. Jesus is firmed, it confirmed in creation and before creation. His coming is a predicted and prescribed in the writings of Jeremiah, Daniel, Isaiah, testified in the history of the Psalms and the prophets and the gospels and to the conversion of people that once persecuted him, now writing epistles confirming about who he is. Our story comes through the great law and a holy priesthood or to arrive at something even better and higher on something that did end bows to something that, could ne that can never end. Long before we even knew that we would need a higher priesthood, God was moving for us. Something greater than the law, something more set apart than the priests. Jesus our high priest would not come from the tribe of Levi because he couldn't, because he didn't need to offer sacrifices. Our priesthood is actually the beginning of all things, and he has no end. Our priesthood would be the law fulfilled, and our priest will never die. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as though this is not enough, the writer closes with two more things, and they are precious, and they are magnificent. Verse 20, and inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed, he's talking about the Levitical priesthood, for they indeed became priests without an oath. But he, with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. You see, the priests of Levite were not established by an oath. From God. Jesus is the oath from God that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus is our oath. 
And finally, in verse 24, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus cannot die, and he will never stop making intercession for me, for you. But the description of this intercession by Jesus is different. Bo did a great job of describing our intercession with the Father. Remember how he talked about knocking and keep knocking and keep requesting and keep going to God until he responds. That's our intercession. That is not the picture of Jesus' intercession. Jesus intercedes for us as the King of Kings. The picture described here in the words is an intercession that comes from authority and power. The word amen means let it be so. And in our prayers, it comes at the end of the prayer because we are asking, let it be so, but it comes with a question mark. Jesus in the Gospels is recording as starting some of his statements and his prayers with amen and amen. He started with let it be so because he can. And in intercessions for us, start with a command. Let it be so. This is our Jesus. This is the Jesus, Jesus, the writer of Hebrews, passionately and compassionately reveals to a persecuted and struggling people. This is your Jesus and my Jesus. We cannot drift. We cannot fall away. And if we know him, we won't. Even now, even now, the high priest of heaven intercedes for all of us with authority and power. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me. Let's pray. We have always a response time after the message. I feel like just inviting us, I'm going to close in prayer, and as you think about it, that you may have a need for intercession. You may want to come. Our prayer team's going to be up. You may want to skip the prayer team and just come and kneel because maybe you have an offering for your high priest. All is appropriate here. Come and get prayer. Come and give thanks. And be blessed. Together, we have a high priest, and his name is Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this powerful word recorded in scripture for us and with us in mind. We receive it. And I hope our hearts are filled with gratitude for all the truth of who you are. So now, can we honor you with our thanksgiving, with our gratitude, with our praise? And can we also come to you with our needs? We need your command. Let it be so. In Jesus, your precious name we pray, amen.